chapter 22, verse 21, is where we're going to begin. And Jesus is just now wrapping up the Last Supper. He's about to be arrested. He knows it. They don't. He's about to be betrayed. He knows it. They don't. He's about to be killed. He knows it. They don't. He sees it all coming. And so he's giving to them the instructions that they might not, let's say, miss it. Everyone say, don't miss it. Say it to your neighbor. Say, don't miss it. Man, and they miss it. They miss it. Over and over, they missed it. Here he is breaking bread with them. We ended this last week, and he says there's a betrayer amongst us. And every one of them starts to ask, is it, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And then Jesus clarifies. He says it's the one who has his hand on the table with me. And everyone's like, oh, hands are off the table, you know. Woo! You know? And he identifies it's Judas. And then immediately after they realize it's Judas, they change their vernacular. Verse 24, we'll see it in a few minutes here. They begin to not instead check themselves to see if they're the betrayer. Immediately after that, they say, well, you know what? I'm actually the, I'm actually the greatest. It's like, are you bipolar? What's wrong with you? You go from one extreme to the other, and yet if you're honest, we're pretty, we're pretty all over the place too, aren't we? You have those days where you get introspective and you get bummed out. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. There's other days... Like a proud peacock, you know? Pretty good, pretty good stuff here. It could happen in the same hour. It's just crazy how we get all over the place. And, and here's why, because we miss it. And, G, and Jesus is so kind that even in their missing it, here, hours before he's betrayed and brutally murdered, he, he teaches them some more stuff. I just want you to kind of lean into that. Even you right now, whatever you're going through today, Jesus would say, I've got something for you. I see right where you're at. You might be super proud of yourself, super full of yourself, super into yourself. You might be super down on yourself, super devastated. Everything's falling apart for you. You have nothing to offer. And Jesus says, I got something for you. I got something for you. Even if you've missed it, I'm so thankful that God comes after us. One time I was in Ashland, and I was downtown uh, ministering to these uh, hippies and bums and crazy people down there, and, and I just loved it, man. And I was ministering to this one couple for a couple days, a couple weeks even. I kept inviting them to church, and finally one day they came to church, this husband and wife that lived in this kind of bummed-out RV, and I was so excited they were at church. And I was actually preaching that Sunday. I was an associate pastor, but I was preaching. So, so I kind of geared my whole sermon around their presence, like, oh, man, this is all for them. And I kind of shaped everything I was saying for their ears. And at the end of the service, everyone to talk to the pastor and she was in line and it was her turn and she came up and I was waiting for her to say, man, my heart was just broken. I gave my life to Jesus. And I was ready for that. Instead, she goes, man, that was a great sermon. I loved the part where you said that we were butt dust. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't, I don't think I said that. You know, she goes, no, no, you said we're butt dust. And I was like, and then she, she remembered, and I remember too in the prayer, I, I quoted King David who said, Lord, thank you that you know our frames, that they are butt dust. Get it? But, but, but dust. It's like old, old English, King James, like our frames are butt dust. Like, and I was like, no, it's not, not, not butt dust. Like that's not the Bible. You know, she's like, that was awesome. See you later. And she left and I never saw her again. I was like, that's not what I said. That's not how you get saved, you know. Get back here. You missed it. Butt dust. That's why they don't let me teach VBS. All <laughs> the kids are like, yeah, butt dust, you know. <laughs> I'm not messing with you guys. And Jesus here has 12 disciples that everything's over their head. I mean, he's been teaching, teaching, leading, leading. The best way of teaching, by the way, is to teach it and then model it. Teach it and model it. Jesus would teach great things, okay? It's pretty easy to teach great, great things. Then he would model it. He would actually do it. Moms, dads, this is a key, okay, to winning your kids' hearts. Tell them what to do. Tell them the truth. Don't let the world do that for them. You tell them what's true, okay? You tell them. 
then you show them and you lead by example. Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus taught and modeled and yet so many things over their heads and Jesus responds with further compassion in teaching. Just like in our text, right before he dies, he unpacks this so they don't miss it. He doesn't want them to fall behind. So important was this lesson. He doesn't want them to fall behind that this would be exactly what Christianity is built upon. Okay, let's just start from the top though. I want you to see where we left off last week. Look at verse 21. He says, but behold... This is the end of the Last Supper, where Jesus had just broken bread, passed it, said, this is my body. He had just taken the cup and enjoyed it, said, this is my blood. And then he transitions, verse 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. It's interesting that Jesus said, I'm about to be betrayed, and their very first thought was, dude, is it me? Dude, it's probably totally me, isn't it? Jesus clarified, and he said and pointed out that it was Judas, and I kind of knew it was Judas the whole time, let's be honest. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when you're driving on 101, and you see the red and blue lights behind you. You're like, they found me, you know, and and you pull over, and they go right by you because they're not after you, and you're like, I get my freedom again, you know, and like, you know everything you've ever done wrong is right there. You're like, oh, no, how, how? And then, oh, never mind. I'm actually doing okay. I'm doing okay. Because each one of us has some Judas within us, don't we? Each one of us. We like to put Judas on this other pedestal. Like, oh, yeah, Judas, the Iscariot. Man, that guy was nuts, right? He betrayed Jesus. You've, you've betrayed Jesus. Peter would betray Jesus. Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, they'd all betray Jesus. And each one of us in us have something dark and perverse that when we can pull off a sin, we will go after it if we don't have our hearts changed. Let me just tell you something, though. The difference between Judas and the 11, the difference between Judas and you, is not that whether we sin or not. We all do. We're all in the exact same camp. The difference is, is that Judas never sought forgiveness. Judas never went to the Lord and said, would you forgive me? Judas was convicted with worldly sorrow and remorse and regret, and he never went to Jesus and said, yeah, I've done this. Peter's sins, in my opinion, were even worse as he denied the Lord later on that night, not once, not twice, but thrice. There at the fire, somebody called him out and said, aren't you one of Jesus' homies? No, wrong guy. A few hours later, another guy said, I'm pretty sure I saw you with him in the courtyard. You're, you're his friend, aren't you? You have a Jesus' real shirt on, bro. We all see it. He said, nope, wrong guy. And then finally, a little girl came up to him and says, no, I've seen you with Jesus before. And he spun and looked at her and said, I don't know the man. And he cursed and swore that he didn't know Jesus. The Bible says that right then as he denied Jesus, the rooster crowed three times. Jesus was brought out of Herod's praetorium, bound, bloodied, eyes gazing at Peter, and he looked at him. The Bible says he beheld him, which literally means to catch him in his gaze. As Peter fell to great depths, Jesus caught him. Peter went out and wept bitterly, and eventually was reunited with Jesus. He repented of his sins and was restored to greatness. The difference between Peter and Judas and the difference between you and I and Judas is how and if we repent of our sins. Do we run to Jesus? Do we let him catch us in his gaze? 
even in your bitterness and your mistakes and your failures. And you, you can't sit here today and say, well, I don't have any bitterness, mistakes, or failures. Your rearview mirror is loaded full of them. You know it, and so do I. And Jesus says, come to me. Come here, come here, come here. Everyone can come to me and become forgiven. Yet in verse 22, it says something crazy. Look at it. It says, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man to whom he is betrayed. Woe to that man. Woe. Other gospel writers declare that Jesus actually said it would be better for this dude if he'd never been born. That's kind of harsh, right? Like, whoa. Did you know that Jesus also spoke to Nicodemus in John 3? And he said that you need to not just worry about that you've been born, but you need to be born again. If you're not born again, it's not good that any of you are born you got to be born again. That's why Jesus came to die and rose from the dead and taught the way he taught for three years and died the way he died and rose again. All of that happened so we could be born again. Not so we could be sinless. We're sinful. And yet Jesus calls us to him to be forgiven. All the Judas is in us this morning can be forgiven. Every single one of us. This one, though, would not repent. Jesus said, man, it'd be better if you wouldn't even have been born. I'll tell you what, while this sounds harsh, I need you guys to understand this because this is the gospel. The good news is you can be forgiven today, okay? The other side of that coin, not everyone will be forgiven. Why not? Because not everyone will come to Jesus. I said this last week at one of the services. I can't remember which one. But did you know that not everyone's going to heaven? Okay, and here's why. Not everyone wants to go to heaven. There are people that thumb their noses at Jesus. I don't want to go to heaven. And the opposite of heaven is hell. That is to be absent from God's presence, to not be in light, to not be in love, to not have peace, to not have joy, to not have anything that God offers, that is hell, to be absent from God's presence forever and ever, eternal life separated from God. And while Christianity is completely exclusive, Jesus said there's no other way, no other truth, no other life except me. That's just the way it is. Did you know that Christianity is also all-inclusive? He said, if any single buddy wants to come to me, I will in no wise push him out. I'll let everybody, and everybody can come in. That's the good news. If it weren't true, by the way, Jesus wouldn't have had to die the way he died. He wouldn't have been sent the way the Father sent. It would have been a different back door into heaven. And yet Jesus, he came in order that we could choose him. And, and you who are seasoned Christians, you get this and you know this. You who are still struggling with your Christianity and wondering if Christ is the only way Okay, here's the, here's the warning. He will not force himself upon anybody. Okay, forced love is rape. God will not force himself on anybody. He will present himself as your lover. Hey, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll love you. Here's flowers. Here's a sunrise. Here's a sunset. Here's the stars. Here's the moons. Here's my Bible. Here's my sun. Oh, you don't want any of that? Are you sure? And he'll labor with you your whole life. And he'll send you that grandma that prays for you. And that mom and that dad that love you and tell you about Jesus. And that friend that's always texting you those pesky verses. And that one Facebook person you tried to block but came back with an alias and keeps putting verses on your wall, you know? <laughs> you know? He won't relent. He'll get out. I love, I, you don't need to raise your hand. I know my story. I hope you know yours. Man, I ran from Jesus. I, ran, I just was rebellious, carnal, stupid. And Jesus was like, hound to heaven right there coming after me i could not outrun his love okay and when i ran out of myself and hit the ground bloodied knees ruined life jesus was right there saying i still love you bro i love you you want to come home 
I got a place for you at the table. I've been waiting. The food's ready. And the offer of Jesus is to all those, listen, who repent, who give their lives to him. The unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. It's that simple. Okay? There's really not, in my, in my understanding, a measure of worse sinners or better sinners. Okay? The unpardonable sin is staying in your sin. Period. Doesn't matter what you've done. If you're forgiven, you're set free. If you're not forgiven, you're still in bondage and sin, and you will be separated from God eternally. Look at, look at verse 23. It says, then they began to question among themselves which of them it was that would do this thing. I kind of like these guys' humility right now. I would point out that they're right with Jesus, okay? True humility is based on your intimacy with Christ. Have you guys figured this out? Christians, you know this. The further you are away from the Lord, the weirder you get, amen? Like, you're just a weirdo. Stop it. Like, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a weirdo, it's because Jesus is like, I left him, I left him at home or something. But if I'm near to him, and I'm, 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 I'm usually a little introspective, like, oh, man, oh, Jesus, you know. And, and Jesus says, someone's going to betray me. And their first thought, while they're there at the table, they've just broken bread and taken the cup, and they're so close to him that they're instantly like, dude, I could probably, be, I could totally do that. No, I could totally do that. And I like this introspection. I was with a, a pastor friend of mine, what I would call a prominent pastor, one I respect, and we were talking about uh, issues. And he, he verbalized and said, if you put me in the wrong place, with the wrong person at the wrong time, I'm capable of anything. And I was actually kind of taken back because I respect this man. I put him on like maybe a different pedestal. And he was just, no way, dude. Are you kidding me? I know exactly what's going on in here. I know what I can do if I'm not in that intimate place with Jesus. And he had this humility, and I've borrowed on that, knowing my own weaknesses. And I think this can ground you. I think there also is a healthy, uh, unhealthy introspection where you're constantly grading yourself and going on sin-sniffing witch hunts within your own soul to find out how evil you are. And you get stuck in analysis paralysis. And, you know, you, you're just too, you, I can't do anything right. I'm all mad. Don't go there. Time out. You know, reel it back in. But I believe in verse 23, there is an element of humility that can be learned from. Now look what happens next. It says, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be the greatest. Now stop right there. Time out. Let's just read verse 23 and 24 together. I don't know what happens in the middle here. I don't know if Jesus gets up and goes outside to get some, you know, fresh air and they're left by themselves. But all of a sudden they go from, I think I might be the betrayer. Next verse. You know what? Scratch that. I'm the greatest. It's like, time out. Have you taken your medication? Are you okay? Like, woohoo, which one is it? We're talking polar opposites, different ditches separating the truth. Man, I could be the betrayer myself. You know what? I always knew it was Judas. I'm actually not too bad, you know? Look at what, let's read them together. It's funny to me. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. This is, not, this is not the only time the disciples fought about this. You guys know this. Throughout the Gospels, it's recorded four separate, maybe five other times. All the way back in Galilee, up at Capernaum, they're outside one day arguing about this. Jesus is inside. He's not even with them, which, by the way, the closer you are to Jesus, the more intimate you are, the more humble you are, the further you are, you start getting weird and start believing your own press clippings, and now somehow they're separated from Jesus. Maybe Jesus went outside. I don't know, but they start talking about themselves, which, by the way, creeps into every single one of us. The reason this story's included, okay, because they missed it. 
They missed it, just like that hippie couple I was preaching to. Butt dust, remember? <laughs> it's like, what? What are you talking about? They, and here are the apostles. This is not the B-apostles. This is the apostles, okay? These are the guys. And now, all of a sudden, they're arguing over who's the greatest. Now, you realize that Jesus was there in proximity. He might have even been at the table within earshot. We don't know. He's there at the dinner with them, and they start to argue about who's the greatest. Now, if Jesus is with you, and you start to ask who's the greatest, guess who the greatest is? It's Jesus, right? Like, who? End of conversation. Did you know that Jesus is with us? He's here at this church. This is his church. Your life group is his life group. Your Bible study is his Bible study. Your marriage is his marriage. Your life is his life. Okay, you get it twisted. We think it's all about our greatness and how good I'm doing and what people think of me. And we get we miss it every single day. And Jesus, in His kindness and benevolence, says, whoa, 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 "Bring it back in. It's not about you. It's about me." As a matter of fact, if I were Jesus in this moment when they're arguing about greatness, I would use this as an opportunity for shame and humiliation upon them. That's what I would do. Jesus uses it as a teachable moment. You know what I would do if I was Jesus? Oh, you guys are talking about greatness? Well, let's figure it out. Okay, whoever was born and your mom was still a virgin, raise your hand. <laughs> oh, I win. Whoever created the universe, raise your hand. Up, oh, I win. Whoever goes water skiing without a boat, raise your hand. Up, oh, I win. Like, it goes on and on. Jeez, and these guys were literally on the eve of Jesus' death. Huh, I'm not that bad. Pretty good. Thought it was Judas for a minute there, but whew, guess I'm not. And then they started arguing for who's going to be in charge. Who's going to be on the right hand and the left hand? And so, so weird. And, and, and I just want you guys to see this. I was actually praying this morning. I was like early this morning, 5 a.m. And I was like, Lord, in, in, in last night at midnight when I was trying to go to bed. And I was praying, Lord, let, that, let this message. Actually, I was asking questions. I was like, Lord, how can this message be powerful? How can this message change lives? And the Lord spoke to me and said, Luke, if this message changes your life, it'll be powerful. This has got to be one of those messages that isn't just taught and put on a shelf. It's got to be taught and modeled. This is one of those truths that has to be true. That's true. But it has to be seen, evidenced, and displayed and picked upon in your life. This is so important. It's not just theology or doctrine. This is actually the foundation stones of Christianity. That Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13, same night, he washed their feet and then he instructed them after he was done, what I've done to you, I've done as an example. And then he said something crazy. Now go and do it to others. I would have imagined Jesus wash their feet and say, now that I've washed your feet, wash mine. Like I would have totally been into that. Like, yeah, I'm gonna wash Jesus' feet. He's like, no, no, wash other people's feet. And when you look at other people's feet, man, they stinky. The feet, you guys all have good feet, right? I'm saying you guys have good feet. You get men pedicures, whatever that's called. You get your feet washed, man. You got socks and shoes. In those days, they had open-toed sandals walking around Jerusalem, animals walking around all over the place, dirt, walking. When you went into someone's house, you washed their feet, it was gnarly. Don't put roses on it. Jesus put an apron on He's like, somehow you guys missed it. So I'm gonna show you. So I'm gonna show you. I'm about to die. It's a pretty big deal. Been teaching good theology. But dang it, you guys' feet are stinky. And nobody cleaned them. So I'm going to do it now. It's like, what? And remember, Peter resisted. Oh, no, don't touch my feet, Lord. No, you know. And he's like, dude, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. All right, well, give me a bath. You know? It's like, Peter, <laughs> calm down, dude. <laughs> calm down. John 13, you can read this later in your life group. And finally, he let Jesus wash his feet. And he washed the other 12 disciples' feet. 
And then he said something. He said in John 13, he continues, do this to others. He said, I did it for you. Now do it to others. And then he goes on to say this. This is so important. John 13, he said, by your love one for another, they will know that you're my disciples. Same, same night. You know what he didn't say? By your doctrine, they will know that you're my disciples. By your conviction, they will know you're my disciples. By what you do and or don't do, they'll know you're my disciples. He did not say that. By your stance on abortion, they'll know you're my disciples. That's not what he said. Because you homeschool your kids, they'll know you're my disciples. That's not what he said. Because you have any kind of conviction or outworking, you know what he said they're going to actually know you're legit? Is by your actual love one for another. They were arguing over who was the greatest. And he's like, dude, did, did you, you didn't, oh, you didn't hear anything I said over the last three years? All right, well, let me just, real, let me just show you how that looks. And he does the gnarliest thing he could think of. Washes their feet. Now, here, here's my point. Is that they had missed it and they were the church. They were the model. They were the foundation. And if they didn't get it right, this entire thing is going to be skewed. How many churches can you think about that aren't known for their love? Gosh, I would almost say all of them at times. How many Christians do you know that aren't known for their love? They're known for their convictions. They don't, you know, drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do, you know. Whatever. People, people promote themselves and all the stuff they do and don't do. That's not what Jesus said. He said Christians aren't going to be known by what they're against or even what they're for. They're going to be known by their love. And as I was praying this through, Lord, how can I communicate this in a way that's actually life-changing and powerful? And the Lord spoke, let it change your life. You ride this, you ride this till the wheels fall off. You start at home, you love your wife unconditionally, sacrificially, creatively, you love her, you serve her. You, you love your kids, you serve them. You wash their stinky little feet. You, you, you repent over the way you look at some of your neighbors in, in your cul-de-sac, okay? If you wanna put your Christianity in action, it starts right there. Okay, you repent of how you serve the church. You repent of how you look at people when you're driving, when you, when you go to the coffee houses and you order your, your food from, from that servant that's making your, your coffee. And if you would just say, okay, well, that's, that's it, huh? So it's not so much about my doctrine and my theology. That's important. Don't misunderstand me, okay? But it is the love that you have from above through your heart to others that will actually change their lives. Are there people in your sphere that need their lives changed? I've got a lot of them. A lot of people just need their heads cracked. You know what I'm saying? And God says, I want their hearts softened, Luke. And I put you there. And you know how he's going to do this? Listen, it's important. About to jump a ditch. He said, I want you as Christians, I want you to pursue greatness amongst your peers. I want you to pursue influence and authority and leadership. I want you who are men you who are women, you who are moms, you who are dads, you who are young and you who are old. I want you to pursue greatness and authority and leadership and influence over the people around you for my namesake and for others' good. And Jesus gives us this next teaching. He says, you know how the world does it? The opposite way. The world is also pursuing greatness, leadership, influence, and authority for themselves. 
that they would have a bigger home, a bigger foundation, a bigger gavel, bigger chest. And Jesus says, don't do it that way. Pursue greatness. You should be the best. Every time the disciples argued about who was greatest, did you know that Jesus never rebuked them for wanting to be the greatest? Ever. But instead, he corrected them and directed them on what that should look like as Christians. Oh, you guys want to be the greatest? Cool. Let me tell you what that should look like. You should be the greatest at loving. You should be the greatest at serving. You should be the greatest at leading. You should be the greatest at giving. You should overwhelm and cover people by your love for them. That's what Jesus said. And yet these guys, I honestly, because they're just like you and just like me, they're at the dinner table, we're arguing over how powerful they were going to be, what kind of desk they would have, what kind of name tag they would get, and maybe Peter's like, I already got the keys to the kingdom of heaven, you bums, you know, and see if I let you in, and maybe they're, who knows what they were saying. And Jesus said, Pete, I gave you those keys so you could let more and more people in. This is the Christianity that God wants us to fall into and walk after. I'll tell you what, I don't see this in my life all the time. I don't see it in all the churches. I, I would say that, that South Beach, because that's where I'm at, I can only be in charge and real influence over this church. I, I do believe the framework is here, where God's allowed this church to be other-centered, to be God-focused, to be available. Lord, would you use us? We're, we're open, totally open. Every single day, every single week, we get opportunities to serve people, so small opportunities. We got three or four emails just this week, people we don't even know, asking for real major help. Situations that are really hard to swallow. And we're here. Cool, we'll send some pastors over. We'll do something. We'll help you out. And I believe that if each and every one of us, though, left today and said, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest servant that I can be, that Jesus would be glorified in that pursuit. As a matter of fact, here's the good news about greatness. This is going to, this will change your life. Any one of us in here can do it. There's not one person in here that is limited to being the greatest servant right now where you're at. You don't need to raise your hands, but do you have limitations right now? Things against you? Things that you've created? Stereotypes? Okay? We live in a society that has limitations for every single person. There are privileges and limitations for everyone. It, we live in a, it's crazy. There's classism. There's sexism. There's ageism. There's racism. There's all kinds of things going against you. There's white privilege. There's things that happen in this culture, in that sphere. It's real, okay? Did you know that God allows every single person, though, to be great? There's not one thing inhibiting you from greatness except for believing a lie. And there's lots of things that will keep you from being served, even. People won't see you. They won't notice you. You're not important. You're not popular. And you get mad about it. You're not a big deal. That's not the issue, it's not about being served or respected or powerful. It's about serving others, respecting them, and making them greater. God gives us so many opportunities to figure this out. Moms and dads figure this out. Okay, when you have kids, you love those kids, right? Do you not, parents, want your kids to do better than you, to know more than you, to have more, to go farther? To every aspect. I want them to, oh, oh, go farther than me, please. Coaches do this. You ever coached somebody? I remember when I started coaching wrestling about eight years ago. And it was real hard for me because I was still real athletic and, and kind of a competitor. And I wanted to get out there and wrestle. I was like, man, if I shave my beard, can I be in high school again? And they're like, no, it's illegal, you know. And, and I had to wrestle with the idea that it wasn't about me. It was about these kids. Get these kids better. I, I coach, volunteer, I show up on purpose to, to teach these kids so they can have a better experience. And you figure this out. It's all about other people. 
greatness. And teachers figure this out. You think teachers teach for the wage? No. Teachers show up. And then they, they also get bogged down, and it's difficult, but when a teacher understands, man, if I could teach these kids, if I could just give them some handholds in life, and they could do great things. Ministry-minded people do this. We have volunteers by the dozens that show up to church. We don't pay people. They show up to serve. They work a job, and then they try and find 10 to 15 hours in their week to serve volunteering. Can I help? God brings this into our DNA and changes us. And, and again, there's these, we, we, we miss it. These guys were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Can I just tell you right now, you, you probably won't be the greatest quarterback in the NFL. Okay? It's not in your guys' DNA. It's not going to happen. You're probably not going to be the greatest businessman or businesswoman in the entire world. It's not going to happen. You're probably not going to invent the next Google or Amazon. It's just not going to happen. You're probably not even going to go on Jeopardy unless they're going to just make fun of you. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to go in there and win. It's not going to happen. But you can be the greatest servant. Jesus never rebuked the boys wanting to be the greatest. Instead, he taught them and modeled it. He said, oh, glad you brought that up. About 15 years ago, maybe, maybe 14 years ago, I put this quote in the, in the back of this Bible. I'm going to read it to you. I was reminded of it when I was putting this together. It says, if you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. And you don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need to have a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love and you can be that servant. And that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You don't have to be great to serve. You just have to be motivated by love. Have a soul that's been touched. Again, I want you to consider right now why you're not great. What, what's going on? Well, I, you know, I got this, these things in my past and, and I just, you know, I got this thing. I really can't be great. If I were to actually poll the audience right now, now you guys are all on edge. No one's going to raise their hand for anything. But if I were to ask you guys earlier, who wants to be great? Most of you wouldn't raise your hand just because you're like, you're too, too humble. No, no. If you did, though, raise your hand. Yeah, greatness, yeah. And it was a worldly greatness. Chances are there's some pride or arrogance creeping in there, right? Okay, let's just be honest. We all got a little Judas, a little pride, a little. We all want to be great in something. There's something in us, something perverse, and you got to be careful of that. Jesus here redeems worldly greatness. He redeems it and makes it back to what it was intended for. But if I were to ask you, who wants to be great? And you all just sat there like, no, not me. Okay, then it's not arrogance or pride that's crept into your life and needs to be repented of, but instead it's fear, irresponsibility, Laziness? You gotta think about this. Do you want a great marriage? And you might say, well, yeah, when you put it that way. Do you want great kids? Nope, just okay kids. Just okay, you know. <laughs> you want a great marriage? Nope, okay's fine, you know. And let, me, let me ask a question though. Do you want a great marriage? Yeah, I do. Are you doing anything about it? No. Do you want great kids? Well, yeah, they're fed, you know. They're clothed. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Are you doing great at it? No. Well, why not? Well, because I don't want to serve others, I still want to be served. Jesus said, you want a great marriage? Serve it. You want great kids? Serve it. 
You want to own a great business? Nope, just an okay business. What? Nobody wants to own an okay business. I want a great business. I want great friends. I want great relationships. I want to have a great run at this thing called life. And God says, cool. Oh, that's so good. Come join my team. I want you to be great also. Here's how it works. Don't go the way of the world. You should be the most influential and the greatest and the highest level of authority person in your sphere. You should, that's you. Be that person, moms. For your kids, for your families, you should have influence and greatness and service towards them. These guys are at the Last Supper, right over their head. No clue what it meant. And so Jesus says, man, back to square one. And he helps us. He, he's so kind and benevolent. And the world around us, again, wants us to just sit and sour and whine and moan about all the things going against us, doesn't, doesn't it? And we're just fed so much negativity all day long about why we can't be happy and why we're the victim and why it won't work for us and why we just got to be mad. Hey, these guys were about to be brutally killed themselves. You realize that, right? Like it wasn't going to get any better for them. As a matter of fact, look at verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles? This is what he, they're arguing about who's great. And Jesus immediately goes into a teaching because he loves them. The kings of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Look at what he says in verse 26, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And let him, let him who governs as he who serves. The younger in those communities was always the runt, the one with no authority. He says, you who have authority, you become less. The kings of the Gentiles, that's the Romans, okay, in that day. They call themselves benefactors. In other words, I'm going to be in charge of you because it's going to benefit me. That's the whole reason I'm here, okay? I'm going I'm to be over you so I get served. Jesus says, it's got to be contrary for you guys. You who seek to be pastors, you who seek to be elders or deacons or worship leaders, you who want to go on the mission field, you who want to know the Bible, you who want to be husbands or wives or moms or dads, you who want to be on my team, you want to be on my team? Okay, here's how it works. It's inverted. It's upside down. You become great so you can serve more people. That's how it works. Jesus, again, using the world systems as a contrast. Look at verse 27. He says, for who is greater? He asks this question. He who sits at the table or he who served? And he answers it. Is it not he who sits at the table? Stop right there, eyes up here, before you contrast this. Jesus says, when you go to eat and you sit down and someone serves you, who's greater? Like, let's be honest. The one who's sitting or the one who's, who's serving? He says it's the one who's sitting. That's how it works. You go, don't you love to go out to eat? You're like, hmm, I'll take my food and I want it in eight minutes. You know what I'm saying? You know, I want you to leave this on the side. I want you to put that there. And can you tell, can you tell the chef that, that I'm here? It's, he, like, he knows me, you know? And, and you love to be served and they bring your food in nine minutes. You're like, is their manager working? I'd like to talk to them, you know? And I'm, I'm on Yelp right now. I'm gonna push one star. I'm gonna push one star. You know, it's like, and we just, we're greater because we're getting served. And Jesus says, you know what? This is, you know what's greater? The one who's being served. Look at what he says, though. He contrasts it. Verse 27, he says, yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus said, you're living in a world that is not gonna help you accept this. You're gonna miss it. You're gonna right over your head. You know, I came to the world, I'm Jesus, guess what I'm doing? I'm actually serving, I'm not being served. Mark 10, 45, I came to serve and not be served and to give my life a ransom for many. Now, I don't know how you process this. Most of us love to receive, we love to be served, we love to be coddled, we love to be cared for. 
And Jesus says, yeah, that's fine, but the real secret sauce of life is when you care for others, when you serve them. That is the, it's better to give than to receive. The world's gonna tell you the opposite, but once you figure this out, the servants are greater is what Jesus is saying. Let me just give a quick illustration. Some of the highest offices in our country right now are in, in the White House and you know, people that legislate and govern in the Senate. And, and did you know that if those guys over there in the White House, the biggest guys, the ones that are sitting right now in, the, in those chairs, if those guys took two weeks off for vacation, you and I wouldn't even notice. They might even be on vacation right now. We don't know. But did you know that if the servants around us took a vacation, if your mailman said, yeah, I won't be there for two weeks, man, figure it out. Like, two weeks of no mail? Dude, you got to get me my mail. You know, what about the gas stations? We're just taking two weeks off. We're just gas station guys. We're no, what? You know, what, what if these people stopped? What about the trash guys? Stop coming to your house for two weeks. Like, what? The servants, the people actually do stuff. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't go for a title. Don't get keys. Don't worry about a paycheck. You be known as a servant. You serve people. When you move from a church, when you move from a neighborhood, when you graduate from a, a, a class, when, when you stop on a sports team, your absence should be missed because of who you were, what you brought to the team, in your leadership, your influence, and your service. You should be that influential. Don't worry about what you get. Don't worry about what you don't have. Every one of us can serve. You don't need an education to serve. You don't need resources. You don't need all the avenues that we wait for before we start doing anything good at all. Jesus says, I came and I am one among you who serves. Look at verse 28. He says, but, our, but you are those who've continued with me in my trials. Stop right there. And Jesus kind of switches gears a little bit. And he sees him in verse 28 and he says, guys, I know you've been with me this whole time. You've been with me in my trials. You, it, you know it wasn't easy to be with Jesus in that way. He was about to be killed. They were about to be arrested themselves. Acts chapter 8 says that they're persecuted. One of them dies. It gets gnarly. And Jesus says, guys, in this life, don't try and get all the wrinkles figured out right here. Don't try and get your best life now here. It is not about here. There are trials coming, and it's going to actually get worse. Look at the promise in verses 29 and 30. This is the future now. He says, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says to his voice, guys, you've been with me from the beginning in my trials. I appreciate that. And guess what's coming down the road when all this is done? The reason why I want you to serve is not for your best life now, but eternity to come. You will one day be given thrones to rule on. You'll have a place at the table. The kingdom is coming. God has given me this kingdom. I share it with you. This is gonna allow you, especially you who are burdened real bad this morning, who are bummed out, who don't have a lot going for you, to step into it and say, I will serve the king for his kingdom that is coming. I'm not gonna wait for things to get easier. I'm not gonna wait for things to get lighter. I'm gonna do it right now. Last Sunday at the evening service, a friend was waiting for me. I've only met him once. He's in a wheelchair, he has one leg, and, and the first time I met him was about six weeks ago, and I got to know him, and we prayed, and, and I asked him, I said, how long have you been a, an amputee? And he said, oh, about three weeks. I said, three weeks? I said, are you for real? I said, wow, you know, how's that going? Like, three weeks ago, you were on two legs, and now you're on one leg? He's like, eh, it is what it is. And I was like, okay, you know, and asked him if he needed help to his car. He's like, I got it, you know, and wheeling around, crashing into things. And, and he was here last Sunday, again, and he waited for about 45 minutes to talk to me. There's a lot of people. And, 
And at the, at the very end, it was finally his turn. And I said, hey, hey, how you doing, man? He's like, good, good, good. Hey, I was wondering if you could, and I was waiting for him to ask for something. He says, I was wondering if you could, could pray for, and he mentioned a, a friend that I know, pray for this guy. He's been suffering from terrible migraines. And I was like, wait a minute, you waited 45 minutes to ask me to pray for someone else? I said, let's pray for him right now. And we held hands. I, we prayed for him right then. And he said, all right, thanks. And he wheeled off. That's all he wanted. He didn't want anything else. And so yesterday, or the day before, I texted that friend that I've been praying for him. I said, hey, how's your headaches, bro? And he texted me back, and he said, horrible. He said, it's unimaginable. It's hard to explain, is what he said. And I said, well, have you got an MRI, a CT scan? You know, you drill a hole in your head, do, you do all that stuff, you know? I was kidding about that last part, you know. And he said, I've done all that. It just doesn't make sense. And I was like, wow, dude. And so I texted this friend a verse out of 2 Corinthians that says this pr present affliction that we go through pales in comparison to the weight of glory that shall one day be ours in Christ Jesus. And I texted that to him, and this guy re replied right away. He said, that is a game changer. I'm going to chew on that. It was a verse that brought life to him. Because he's migraines, man. All day, he's a young man. He works. He's got a job and multiple kids. And headaches. And yet when the word of God, spoken like Jesus to these guys, guys, you've been with me in my afflictions, and there's a kingdom coming. There's more weight of glory to be held even in your suffering now. Keep suffering is what Jesus is saying. It's not going to get better. It might get worse. What do we do? Get paralyzed? Can't move forward? Can't give? Can't serve? Become the victim? You could. A lot of people tell you, great job. A lot of people put their arm around your shoulder and say, that's a great job. You sit over here, you do nothing. Jesus looks at him and says, you guys have been with me? You're thick and thin. My kingdom is coming. And it's going to get gnarly. You're going to need to saddle up. And this is what we do. We serve and we give and we love and we serve and we give until we die. Yesterday I saw a friend of mine at a basketball game. I was talking to her about life and it just was heavy. A lot of heaviness. And with confidence I was able to speak and say, you know what? I wish I could fix it. I wish I could give you that fix-it stick. I just fix everything, just bop people on the head. And some people need a bigger fix-it stick than others, you know? A rod of iron, ah, I fixed that, you know? I said, there's no fix-it stick. Like, you're, it might actually just be rough sledding until we get to heaven. And you know what? That's a perspective that I'm willing to accept, okay? Because my friend wheeled out of here without a leg. I can't grow it back for him. And Jesus here, about to be betrayed and beard pulled out, and skull crushed with thorns, would say, guys, thank you for being with me through every trial. I appreciate that. My father has bestowed to me a kingdom. I'm giving it to you as well. Don't forget. This will change everything. We're Christians here, right? Okay, most of us, hopefully. If you're not a Christian yet, you should become one today. Okay. Do not leave here without Jesus as your king. Do not. And we, we go out back into the world right now with this message. We can love, we can serve, we can give. You can be the greatest person that some people will ever know. And they will speak of you and your greatness. What kind of greatness? Oh, man, she prayed for me. She loved me. She cared for me when no one else would. And she served me over and over again. Who are you talking about? My grandma. My mom, my wife, 
And they served, they served, they served, they served. I don't know where they got it from. Well, because they went to the meal with Jesus. And they heard about it. And when Jesus said, oh, you want to be the greatest? Cool, I appreciate that. Here's how you do it. You become the servant of all. You become the servant of all. Jesus has so much in store for you guys. This is so fun. I'm, I'm, I want to be right in my theology and my doctrine. I'm committed to it. Bible study and exegesis and teaching. I want to be right. I'm committed to my holiness and righteousness behind the scenes, who Luke Frechette is and my character. I'm committed to the Lord growing me. Okay, those are important. And, but what I think is more important is when Jesus says, hey, Luke, you go to Fred Meyer's pretty often. You go to Starbucks too often. And you go places. What if you went with a heart of love? What if when you're at the CrossFit gym, you just, you just loved everyone? Just, man, just massive love. You just love them. What about driving 101? You just love them. What about when you go to the bank? You just love them. By your love one for another, they're gonna know you're legit. Keep going after theology and righteousness and personal holiness. For sure, obviously. Let this start in the smallest circles. Let it start at your house. Just love the unlovable, okay? Love the people that, that need it most in your home. Just do it. Love covers a multitude of sins and it never fails. It does what only love can do. I'm gonna have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a closing song. And we get to remind ourselves of the love of Jesus at the table. This all happened at the Last Supper. All this, this whole teaching. And last week we studied the Last Supper where Jesus said, this bread is my body broken for you and this cup is my blood spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we take communion today, we remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed. We do it in remembrance of him because there's a Judas in each one of us and we've missed it so many times. And Jesus says, I wanna take care of that right now. I wanna cleanse you from your sins and get you back in the game. So I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare to take communion together and celebrate that Jesus loves us so much that we can love others. Father, we thank you that we can indeed study your word, be corrected, be reminded, and get it. Maybe you're here for the first time, and, and you got it for the first time. This is what it's all about. Wow, there's a kingdom coming? It's not all about here? You mean my divorce doesn't have to define me? My, my, my brokenness doesn't have to define me? My, my, my disease doesn't have to define me? It's not about that? There's more? My limitations? My, my, my status? What I've achieved, my, my, my gender doesn't define me. My race doesn't define me. My, my king, my pastor, Jesus, the lover of my soul, he defines me. He tells me what's going on. And you can be set free from your own selfishness and sin this morning. Maybe you have been just stowed up. Your love is just broken. It doesn't work. You don't give it to your spouse. You don't give it to your kids. You're afraid. You're afraid because you don't have enough to give. You're saying, I don't have enough, man. I barely got enough for myself. You believed a lie. You believed a lie. You believed that if you would take care of yourself and protect yourself and promote yourself and strengthen yourself, you would be better. It's a lie. kings of the Gentiles they look for what they're going to get they believed a lie not so among you but you should be among us as those who serve 
And if you're here today and you're a Christian, but you, you man, you're all messed up. And you want to be a better servant for your, for your family, your spouse, your kids. Would you just right now humbly raise your hand and say, yeah, Lord, I want to be a better servant. Lord, forgive me. Just raise up your hand right now. Lord, I want to be a better coach, a better teacher. Lord, I want to be a better friend. My relationships, I'm just so mean. I'm waiting for somebody to serve me. I'm waiting for somebody to wash my feet. And Jesus said, I just did wash your feet. Now go wash somebody else's feet. And I haven't been washing people's feet because I believe to lie. Raise up your hand if you want to be a foot washer. You do. You're willing to do it. You need your heart to be broken, though. And you need to repent of your selfishness and sin. Maybe you're here this morning. Keep your hands up. And you, 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 you don't want a great marriage. You do on paper, but you're not working for it. You need to repent. I want a great marriage. Oh, I want to serve. I want great kids. I want a great business. I want great friends. Jesus says the ball's in your court. You have the resources. You're not the victim. You're the church. You have the answer. Raise up your hand right now if you would like the Lord to use you in that way. And you repent of your sins, of your selfishness, of your fear, your laziness. When my hand is up in Jesus' name, forgive me of my pride, my arrogance, my selfishness. Lord, for believing a lie, for playing the victim. Lord, in Jesus' name, forgive me. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for myself. You do the same for yourself. And would you restore to us, Lord, the joy of service and friendship and love. Lord, make us, make this, you can put your hands down. Make this church, Lord, these Christians here and those watching online, those we represent, Lord, up and down the coast, all the churches, make your bride, Lord, so kind, so benevolent, so joyful that we wouldn't sit around arguing over who's the greatest, but instead we just be the greatest by serving greatly. Let it be true. Let there be no hard hearts here this morning, even as we come to the table. We take communion and celebrate what you've done for us. May our hearts be broken. May the spirit, Lord, rejuvenate. And may you receive all the glory. And may others be delivered from their pain and receive the good of heaven through our lives. We do what we do now in Jesus' name.